I'm going to get right into our scripture today and uh, would invite you to turn with me to uh, John chapter 20. It's on page 1685 if you've got one of the pew Bibles there in the seat in front of you. And that song sets up our our topic today so well uh, as we consider the empty tomb that I wanted to jump right into that and then we'll uh, kind of work back through it as we go. But John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's John. That's the writer of the gospel, and he's kind of making sure you don't miss out on this important detail that he was faster than Peter and got there first. He, John, bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting 
and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Got good news today. How many of you could use a little good news? I've got good news today. The tomb is still empty. The Lord is still living. And whatever you are facing today, you are facing it in the light of the empty tomb. You are facing it in the light of the resurrection. And you're facing it in the reality of Christ's victory over sin and death, in the hope of eternity with Christ. Whatever happened in the last seven days or the last seven years or the last 70 years, wherever you are today, you face what you face and you face what is before you in the light of the resurrection, in the light of Jesus' victory over sin and death, in the light of the hope of eternity with him. If that doesn't lighten your load, if that doesn't divide your sorrows and multiply your joys, then I'd like to introduce you to a person named Jesus Christ and the hope that's available through him. We are at the tail end of a series titled, Come and See. We've been focusing on this phrase, come and see, come and see, come and see, throughout the Gospel of John. And we've been looking at uh, this question that Jesus asked at the beginning of chapter 1 of his first conversations with the disciples. They're following him, and uh, he turns and looks at them, and he says, who is it you're seeking? What do you want? What do you want? And even here today, the first words that our Savior speaks in the Gospel of John, after the resurrection, he says them to Mary, and he says, woman, who is it you are seeking? It's the same phrase. It's the same Greek word, zetiete, that we looked at back in chapter 1. And, and I believe that, that John did this intentionally because he knows we're all seeking something. And some of us are seeking the right things in the right ways, and some of us are probably seeking the wrong things in the wrong ways at times. But we're all seeking something, and we can all come and see, and come to see, in the person of Jesus Christ. So far, we've looked at that interchange between the first disciples. We've looked at the, the conversation that takes place with Nicodemus at night. We've focused on a conversation that he has with a Samaritan woman at a well. We've also looked at his raising of Lazarus from the dead and healing a man born blind. And so today, we're going to be finishing up with Jesus' victory over sin and death and all the hope, the living hope that we have in a living Savior represented by the empty tomb. And so, if you were here last week, you know we looked at his raising of Lazarus from the dead. And in the time since then, in John 12 through 19, Jesus has made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And everyone shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he had the last supper with the disciples and he washed their feet. And following that, he spent three chapters of Scripture teaching them about the Holy Spirit who was promised to come, the Holy Spirit who is our advocate before the Father, who is our counselor, who is our comforter, whatever we go through in life. And he taught them about that because he knew they were going to need the Holy Spirit. And so I hope you've been reading along in the Gospel of John with us as we've gone through this. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to read 
John 14, 15, and 16 this week as we think about the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus promised, even in this passage that we see. And he says, peace be with you. And he breathes upon them. And he says, now receive the Holy Spirit. And the greatest gifts, God himself comes to us and takes up residence in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Then in John 17, he prays for himself and for the followers and for all who would come after him. In John 18, he's arrested. In John 19, there's the mock trial and, and his sentencing and death and burial. And that's where we picked up the story today in John chapter 20. And I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe, and he, he's a Bible commentator, one of my favorites. And he says, if, if, if this were any ordinary biography, there would be no John chapter 20. Have you ever thought of it that way? That in each of the Gospels, when you're expecting the story to end, if you've never heard the story, you're expecting it to end, there's always another chapter or two. Because Jesus' biography is no ordinary biography. And that's why we call it the good news. That's why it's the best news ever. Because even when he was handed over and was, was nailed to a cross and was crucified and died and buried in a tomb, that was not the end of the story. That's not the end of his biography. And we live in the light of the resurrection, and we celebrate the resurrection today. It's not just for Easter Sunday. Do you know that we can live in resurrection power and in the light of the resurrection every single day of our lives? Not just leading up to Easter, not just on Easter Sunday, not just in the week or two after Easter. And so this is right in between last Easter and this next Easter. This is one of the weeks that falls right in between that. And we have an opportunity to celebrate the resurrection, to celebrate the good news that the story does not end there. And so I'm going to look at a couple, of, uh, a couple of verses of Scripture and then spend a lot of time right at the end of this. But in verse 15, as I was reading through this, I mentioned, or, or right after, I mentioned that it's the same question in verse 15 when he asks Mary, who are you seeking who is it that you're seeking? It's the same question that Jesus asked the first disciples in John 1.38. And incidentally, it's the same question that Jesus asks the mob when they come out to him in John 18 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says to them, who is it that you are seeking? Zetiete. Who are you seeking? What are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Ironically, they're the only ones that answer the question with a clear response. And he says, I am he. And he asks them again. And they answer Again, And he is the one that they were seeking, but they were not seeking him for the right reasons or in the right way. And I couldn't help but notice that in Matthew's presentation of the resurrection, of the post-resurrection experience there in Matthew 28, verse 6, the words come and see find their way into Matthew's gospel as well as, he, as, uh, as the angels respond he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where they laid him. Come and see. Come and see. And then in verse 21, we must not miss this, and it provides us a perfect bridge into our next series that we'll be focusing on. And in verse 21, Jesus says to the disciples, he says to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me from heaven to be God with us, which we'll be celebrating as we turn the corner and head into Christmas here before too long. As we celebrate God with us, that, that he came and took on flesh and, and came and walked among us. He was God with us. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You are sent out. 
And that means that we are sent people, that Jesus is sending us as well. We are sent people following a sent Savior. The Savior was sent to us, and one of the last things that he did was send us out. And we see this again in the beginning of Acts. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. You are sent And we are sent people. We are sent into our neighborhoods and we are sent into our families and we are sent into our workplaces and we're sent into Walmart and Hy-Vee and we are sent into different places and we're sent to kids' sporting events and we are sent into all kinds of places where we interact with people who don't know what we know, who don't have the hope that we have, who don't live their lives in the light of the resurrection. We are sent to them. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So the next six weeks, we're going to be focused on the idea of go and be. We have come and seen, now we're going to go and be. And we are going to go and be certain things on behalf of Christ. And that's where we're headed. And uh, I couldn't be more excited about it. Uh, So I, I hope that you will be here. I hope that you will bring people with you as we continue and go and be the hands and feet of Christ in the world around us. But I want to spend the, the remainder of our time here today uh, on the last uh, five verses or so of this chapter. And first at this interchange with Thomas. So verse 26 through 29, we read these words. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Now this is Thomas who said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. You see, he missed it. He missed the, the appearance that Jesus made there on the first day. Thomas is a great example why you shouldn't miss church. Even when there's a couple of inches of snow, you just never know what's going to happen, right? And you don't want to hear about it secondhand from other people. You want to experience it yourself. You don't want to hear about the beautiful violin that was played and the, and the worship that, that we experienced together. You want to experience it yourself, right? I know I do. In fact, I've had perfect attendance. Has anybody noticed that? I haven't missed a week yet. Now, I've got one planned out in the next series, but I'm not going to tell you which one so that, that, uh, that you don't invite all your friends to that one, right? Um, but I just don't want, I don't want to miss what's going on here. Even when I haven't preached, I've, I wanted to come and, and be a part of my, my church family. And Thomas is a good example why we shouldn't miss church. And so Jesus shows up the second time, and he's with them, and, and he calls out Thomas individually in verse 27. He says, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And so Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, it's a confession. It's a confession that says, I absolutely believe. And you are my Lord. You are God himself in my presence. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that last couple of words there in verse 27, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Is there anybody who needs to hear that today? Is there anybody who needs to hear the Savior say, stop doubting and believe? Sometimes we feel paralyzed by our doubts. We feel paralyzed by the questions that we can't quite answer, and we want an answer. And as a pastor, sometimes I hear those questions. And sometimes the answer is, I can only get you so far, and then you have to choose 
faith. You have to choose to believe. Otherwise, your faith is only in what you have seen. It's only in the evidence that has been presented to you. And when something comes along that shakes that evidence or shakes what you've seen or causes you to doubt, then you'll be back in that loop of unbelief or of looking for a little bit more evidence. And Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. I said it this way once, and I was looking for the message. I was looking for the scripture that it was based on. But I said, doubt your doubts and feed your faith. Doubt your doubts. Doubts come. But we don't have to live in doubt because we have a living hope in the resurrected king. We don't have to live in doubt. We can doubt our doubts. We can say, you know what? I think I know where that comes from. And I don't think it's from the Holy Spirit. I think that's from the enemy. I think he's trying to get me to doubt. I'm going to feed my faith instead. I'm going to feed my faith on the word of God. I'm going to feed my faith by worshiping him with other people. I'm going to feed my faith in the fellowship of believers, in Bible studies, in small groups. I'm going to feed my faith in one-on-one discipleship and putting myself outside of my comfort zone and investing in the life of another person. And I'm going to feed my faith and I'm going to doubt my doubts. And he says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And it reminded me of a prayer that I've been praying. Somebody was kind enough to give me a prayer that was based on the armor of God that we read about in Ephesians chapter 6. And one of the lines in there is referring to the shield of faith that's part of the armor of God. And this shield of faith, we're told, is, is, gives us the ability to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the prayer is, Jesus, I lift the confidence, the shield of faith, that you are good against every lie and every assault of the enemy. You have good in store for me. Nothing can overcome me because you are with me. That's the shield of faith. It's not the shield of evidence. It's not the shield of what we have seen. It's the shield of what we believe, what we stake our lives on, what we rely upon, cling to, and trust in for our salvation, for our daily sustenance, for the hope that we claim to have. It is the shield of faith. And then in verse 29, Jesus sums it all up and he says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this believing without seeing is crucial to us today because most of us have not seen the resurrected Savior in front of us. We haven't put our fingers into the nail holes. We haven't put our hand into his side. We have not seen him in the way that the disciples and, the, and, and even Thomas got to see him. We see him in the activities of others who believe and do in his name. We see him in the answers to prayers. We see him in a multiplicity of ways. But we don't see him in, in, in the flesh right in front of us. Most of us. Anyway, some people have shared testimonies and have had experiences and have had encounters, and I don't discount those. But it's crucial to us today to be able to believe without seeing, to rely upon, cling to, and trust in. And I find that this shows up in my prayer life more than anywhere else, and it shows up in the prayers of others more than anywhere else, whether or not they're praying sort of if-then prayers, like, God, if you love me, if you're real, then you'll do this or this or this. The famous quote, there are no atheists in, in foxholes, that, that we all believe in some higher power to deliver us in the, in the most desperate moments of our lives. But we either pray from a place of faith or we pray for a place of faith. 
And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have staked your claim with him, if you have believed the good news, if you have believed that he loves you and he did what he said he would do on your behalf and that eternity awaits you, then you, pr- you pray and you pray from a place of faith, a place of belief that's not dependent upon circumstances but rests in the reality of the promises that God has given us, that we hold up the shield of faith, that Jesus is good and that the best is yet to come, and that this life is such a blip on the radar screen compared to the eternity that he has secured on our behalf. And therefore, we are not shaken, and we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And whatever we are facing, we face it in the light of the resurrection, in the light of his victory over sin and death. And so our bottom line today is that we are blessed when we believe. We are blessed when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We are blessed when we rely upon, cling to, and trust in Him and Him alone. We are blessed when we believe, not just when we see the answer or the evidence. We are blessed when we believe, not just when it all works out the way that we had hoped. And we're blessed when we believe in the solid rock and his ability to work all things together for good. Maybe this week, maybe next week, maybe in eternity. Certainly in eternity. We don't know how long we'll have to wait. We don't know how long we'll have to hope. But we do know that what we hope in, and that our hope is secure. And so today we can be encouraged by that. We can be encouraged by the empty tomb, because belief is its own blessing. We are blessed when we believe, especially when we believe apart from sight, apart from seeing. One of my favorite quotes comes from Dallas Willard. He says, faith is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And belief is not opposed to evidence, it's opposed to sight. That we don't rely only on what we can see, but we believe even when we can't see. We believe in Christ. We believe just as the early disciples did. We believe as, as the early church leaders did, as they put their life on the line, as they risked all to share the good news, to spread the good news in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the utter ends of the earth. And this belief was so important to John that he wrote this whole book that you would believe. Yes, you 2,000 years later in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, we're told here in Scripture that these things were written that you would believe. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. Verse 30 and 31, Jesus says, or I'm sorry, John says that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. It's the purpose statement of the whole gospel right here. In fact, belief was so important to John that he used the word over a hundred times in this gospel. It was so important to him, and I think it was the reason he wrote it. And sometimes I wonder, like, okay, we had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and they were written fairly quickly after Jesus' death by comparison to John. They'd been around for decades before John. So why did he write his, why did he write his gospel? 
And a few of the things line up, but there's stories that are in John that aren't in the others. And he told us why right here. He told us why he bothered to write another gospel. He told us why God inspired him to be the pen in God's hand and write this. It was that you would believe. And over and over and over in my time in ministry, I've heard pastors say that there's something about the gospel of John that inspires those far from God to believe in a way that the other gospels maybe don't. And so often it is, it is recommended to new believers that you would just start with John. Start with John. Fewer miracles, fewer stories, but greater depth and a greater picture into the person of Jesus. And it was all so that you would believe. And so my encouragement to you today is don't wait. Don't wait. Believe today. Believe more fully today. If you're here today and you are not yet committed to Jesus Christ, then today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you can say, yes, I do believe. I believe in the empty tomb. I believe in the power of the resurrection. I believe that God loves me and and wants me to be in relationship with him forever. Today can be the day. And if you've believed that for some time now and you've committed your life to Christ and you've been spending time getting to know him and getting to know his plans and his purposes for you, which are good, then you can believe in a deeper, richer, more powerful way today. Wherever you are, you can believe more fully today despite the circumstances, despite the things that are going on in the world around us. And and it only takes a half an hour of network news to know that, that it's chaos out there. But we don't have to be anxious. And sometimes it only takes a trip to the doctor to find out that maybe there's chaos going on in here, but we don't have to be afraid. We can believe. We can put our hope and our faith and our trust in Him. And even if we're experiencing loss or we're experiencing anxiety, the hope that we have in Jesus will carry us through that, will encourage us, will strengthen us, and will empower us to be that living hope to someone else to take the comfort that we've received and give it to someone else in his name. And so my encouragement to you is that you would believe today in a new and a fresh way. Ask God, what is it, where is it that I'm experiencing anxiety? Where is it that, that I'm experiencing a lack of faith? And help me to believe anew and afresh today. Wherever you are, you have an opportunity to respond. We close every service with an opportunity and an invitation for you to respond. You can come to the altars. You come to the middle altars. You can pray alone. If you come to the side altars, somebody will come and put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you or converse with you a little bit and find out what's going on and pray out loud with you. But wherever you are, if you choose to stay in your seats, my hope and my prayer is that you will examine yourself and examine and say, God, where does this word intersect my life, my circumstances, the week behind or the week ahead, and help me to apply your word to my life today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you as grateful people, grateful for the empty tomb, grateful for your power over sin and death, grateful for the invitation that you give to each and every one of us to come to you, to put our faith in you, to put our hope in you, to put our trust in you, to experience the love that you have for us, God, and to then share that with the world around us. Help us, O oh God, to believe in new and deeper ways today. Help us to trust even when we cannot see. For we are blessed when we believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.